Listener Production. So it's an age-old question for adults. How to get the message through to teenagers that something they think is cool is actually dangerous and they should stop doing it. Well, we did it with smoking. Now the challenge for this generation of teachers and parents is vaping. You have all this positive content on all the social media channels that young people are also consuming. You see vapes in TV shows and boom, you know, there's the top of mind awareness combined with the accessibility uh, to the product and you got a problem. Yeah, it's a very difficult challenge. So in this episode of The Briefing, we're finding out whether you can get the message through via a video game. We're going to talk to a team at Griffith University who've had success in educating high school kids about alcohol and other drugs using gaming. And now they've created, wait for it, the vape detective. So will the vape detective be able to solve the vaping problem? Doesn't sound like a fun game. That is our briefing. First, today's headlines. It is Wednesday, October 5, and I'm joined by Antoinette Latouf. Today is day two of the Brittany Higgins rape trial. Yesterday, they chose the 16-person jury. There are 10 women and six men. They'll only need 12 for a verdict, but the judge increased the numbers to guard against the risk of losing jurors along the way. This is because of the huge amount of media coverage this story has received in the last year and will receive during the trial. Yeah, and yesterday in the court, we learnt that the accused, Bruce Learman, will deny the pair had sex at all on the night in question. The court also heard a recording of Higgins' police interview where she told police she cried as she was allegedly raped in Parliament House and said no at least half a dozen times. So more than 50 witnesses are expected to give evidence during the six-week trial, including senior political staffers and also high-profile journalists Samantha Maiden and Lisa Wilkinson. Yeah, and in another big legal case, convicted murderer Chris Dawson has begun the appeal process. He's lodged paperwork flagging his intention to appeal the conviction for murdering his wife Lynette Dawson. And this case, of course, was the subject of the Teacher's Pet podcast. Some big environmental news. The federal government is aiming to protect and conserve at least 30% of the country's land mass. The Environment Minister has released Australia's Threatened Species Action Plan towards zero extinctions. We are the mammal extinction capital of the world. We've seen around 100 species lost in the time since colonisation and we absolutely have to turn that around. So that's Tanya Plibersek, the Environment Minister. Um, Zero extinctions, that's an interesting plan. I I wonder if that actually kind of goes against nature. Well, I think if you speak to conservationists, zero extinction is allowing the natural ecosystem to play out as it needs to play out. Zero extinction without human intervention, without us robbing animals, flora and fauna of their, you know, their native and natural habitat. I think that's the Without human intervention, that's, I guess, an important cause there. So yeah, it is obviously a massive problem here in Australia. There's 2,000 flora and fauna species on our threatened list, which is the most of any country. In this announcement, the government have allocated $224 million to this plan. We'll hear more about that in next month's budget. Conservationists have been saying, though, that this will actually cost more like $2 billion Mm. a year. This is the sort of list, Tom, that we don't want to be topping. We don't want to be the country in the world that uh, is essentially wiping out our flora and fauna Mm. at a rate far greater and faster than any other country around the world. 
And it's not as bad as we expected. The RBA pulling up rates by 0.25% yesterday, rather than the widely expected 0.5%. Yeah, so this sounds like a small detail, but it is actually quite a big deal, which is why we saw um, one of the biggest stock market surges since the middle of 2020 yesterday. The stock market went up almost 4%. And that's because uh, a smaller rate rise signals a changing intention of the Reserve Bank and a changing momentum in this extreme rate hiking schedule they've imposed over the last four supersized rate hikes. It will be welcome news to people with big mortgages, but it's still an increase of around $100 a month on a $750,000 mortgage. And with all the hikes so far this year, that's $1,000 a month extra. Yeah, it's all a very bad scene, but not as bad as we expected. I guess the the good thing here is, and and the wisdom, uh, many would say, is that smaller hikes will give the RBA more time to see the real impact of those rate rises before they, you know, go ahead and jam mortgage holders even harder. And, you know, there's a lot of data to watch here, like property prices, which are falling at a record speed, uh, and also the risk of recession growing here Mm. and overseas. And Essendon's new CEO, Andrew Thornburn, has had to quit the role after just 30 hours in the job. So he came under pressure to quit the role because he's the chair of a pretty hardline Christian church called City on a Hill. And quotes from a 2013 sermon have surfaced that denounced homosexuality and likened abortion to murder and the operation of concentration camps. Uh, Here's part of what the Essendon president, David Barham, had to say about it. Are they horrible comments and not something that's reflected in the values of the Essendon Football Club at all. So, you know, we're really strong on our values. Values are really important to us. Everybody's in, everybody's welcome at the Essendon Football Club. But Thornburn said some of the posts predated his time at the church and he had not heard the views in the sermons expressed during his time as chair. And he was not the person espousing those views. This was just another member of his church. Correct, but they are held by the church, even if they didn't come out of his mouth and even if they didn't, it wasn't something that he presided over. He's since released a statement saying people should be able to hold different views on complex personal and moral matters and should be able to live and work together and that he added that today it became clear to me that my personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square, at least by some and perhaps by many. Tom, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I think he makes a really good point there that, you know, these these are common views held by many Christians. So can they not be in any role in a company that has, you know, mm. certain views around tolerance and diversity? We're, we're being very intolerant towards Christians. So it's a contradiction of the whole tolerance movement. I think where this one got a bit trickier, though, was that he's the chairman of that church. So Mm. can you be the chairman of an organisation with those values and chairman of Essendon at the same time? So I think that's probably where he came unstuck. But he was the former CEO of NAB, which is an organisation. The big corporates and the banks have enormous diversity and inclusion wings and arms and days and events, and they spend an enormous amount. So I think it's interesting that those things didn't surface at the time of his leadership at NAB. Yeah, that's a good point. I think pretty much all corporations have these values now. So can any Christian or Christian leader hold a senior executive position in any of these 
companies? And if the answer is no, I don't think that's a healthy place in our society. I think it may also be a matter of timing because just a couple of weeks ago, there were those allegations from First Nations players, you know, one in particular who was encouraged, um, alleges he was encouraged to abort his baby because it was would get in the way of his All career. All kinds of stuff goes wrong in the AFL. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it does also make me wonder, um, because there were other families who came forward um, about Hawthorne to the ABC, you know, what diversity and inclusion matters more? Because we've seen people of colour treated abhorrently by the AFL and continue to be. So this is an institution that's trying to get its diversity and inclusion stuff right. There's a long way to go, um, but it sounds as though they're championing some issues harder than others. Having said that, appointing someone without due diligence and knowing who he is and where he's come from and getting rid of him 30 hours later, to me it sounds like poor management because for the record, Christian white middle-aged men are not the face of oppression in this country, but right now what happens, will Christians will feel that they need to double down or will start feeling persecuted and will start saying things like, we don't have the right to practice our faith. I don't think that is the case. I just think, again, it comes back to when diversity and inclusion is done badly. Surely they knew who this man was before appointing him. Mm. They knew who he was. They just didn't like some of the social media commentary that came after these posts emerged. Yep. They should have known where he'd come from and made a decision whether or not they would weather a media storm when it inevitably came up. Back him or not. Mm. Yep. Antoinette, we'll catch you later. Katrina's about to join me for a conversation about the vape detective. Well, we did it with smoking. Can it be done with vaping? Maybe Inspector Vape can break the habit, Katrina. Maybe. The issue is that vaping has become cool at school and that's a pretty big problem. A study published this year in the Australian New Zealand Journal of Public Health found more than 80% of teachers have caught their high school students vaping. Yeah, and partly because of the flavours like bubblegum, peach pear, cola... It's appealing to even younger people than high school. So that same study said that primary school teachers reported a 27% increase in vaping amongst their students. So that's really worrying. I guess there's a tricky relationship when something is cool and dangerous, right? The more you say it's dangerous, almost the cooler it gets to some kids. The other issue is that, you know, it's not just causing health consequences far off into the future. More than half of the teachers surveyed said they noticed vaping had an impact on the mood and performance of those kids as well. So vapes work by heating a liquid that then becomes an aerosol. It enters the body via your lungs. It is technically illegal here in Australia, but they do still get in. uh, And it means that there are no quality Mm. or safety standards. And also, vape juice has been found to contain some really harmful chemicals, including formaldehyde, nicotine and lead. Yeah, and then you're up against TikTok, which is showing vaping in a positive light. It's a classic dilemma, getting through to teenagers about something that's both dangerous and cool. Researchers at Griffith Uni think they might have an answer, though. Timo Dietrich is a senior marketing lecturer. He is the co-founder of Blurred Minds. Uh, He's produced games about alcohol and drugs, and his work has reached over 7,000 students over the last 10 years. And Blurred Minds is just about to release their vaping game. Timo, thanks for joining us. How bad is the vaping problem in our schools? It's really bad. We used to think until recently that we had low 
maybe single digit sort of percentages, maybe two, 4% when we looked at some of the national stats in terms of vaping figures. And now more and more research has started to emerge that is pointing towards as much as, you know, every fifth teenager having tried it. And then at least lots of them, maybe even up to 90% actually continuing with the habit because they get so quickly addicted. Um, so it's a problem. So how is this happening and, and how has vaping taken off within our schools? Well, I think there's a few things that have happened. Just to give a bit of background, like we've been speaking to probably around 200 schools, hundreds of teachers over the last months, and they have told us that vaping is such an issue. There's not a school that pretty much looks at you and says, we got this one currently under control. So it's a product that's available, you know, so not just buying it online, but also in your corner stores or vape shops, you know, these things have been sold, even though it's technically, you know, illegal. Um, so if you have the access and then you have all this positive content on all the social media channels that young people are also consuming, you see vapes in TV shows and boom, you know, there's the top of mind awareness combined with the accessibility uh, to the product and you got a problem. Is it about the cool factor? Like, is it about what they see on TikTok or, or on the screen? Or is it also about that it tastes good? Yeah, I think it's both, you know. I mean, I think it's quite fascinating. It's a, from a product development perspective, it's amazing, right? So you had a traditional cigarette that was pretty, it's become pretty uncool, at least here in Australia, right? And it smells bad. So now you have this super cool new flash and slick USB style drive uh, that allows you to vape then flavors that sound like an ice cream shop i always say bubble gum peach ice strawberry kiwi fruit monster mixed berries you know what, whatever the name is and so it smells good tastes kind of good and then you can blow all the smoke out and uh make all these fantastic formations and for some reason everyone thinks ah well we're just you know breathing some air through our lungs and uh, that's 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 really all that's happening but obviously that's not so i think yeah both is the answer <laughs> What's the concern uh, beyond the long-term health impacts of this? I've read studies where teachers say that it has immediate impacts on kids' concentration levels and their, their sporting performance, things like that. I think first we have to say that for a young person to pick up this habit, like there's nothing good that's going to come out of it. The likelihood that you're going to be addicted to it is very high because obviously, whilst we don't know exactly what's in every single vape liquid that's out there, we do know that's a bit of a mixed bag of ingredients. So first sort of clear message is it's not going to be good. And as we then conduct more long-term studies, we obviously are starting to see an evidence base emerging where we are seeing some detrimental health effects that are a result of people, you know, vaping for longer periods of time. Yeah, we have actually heard firsthand from some schools and there's almost no day that goes by where we're not speaking to a school about the issue of vaping where they cannot actually sit within, you know, a 40-minute class without actually wanting to go and hit a vape. So then along comes the vape detective to save <laughs> the day. <laughs> Timo, tell us about this initiative you're working on. Yeah, last year we didn't have a vaping module. So we have uh, the Blurred Minds Academy, which has 11 different uh, modules now. And the last one we added is the, the, the vaping module. And really the idea is to empower teachers to have a relevant and real conversation with young people wherever they are in that in that journey um so the resources kind of cater from year seven all the way to year 10. so last year everyone was saying you got to build something around vaping because that's the big issue and so we 
uh, we did. And, and as part of this module, we also have a game that we developed, which is called the Vape Detective. So the Vape Detective is about developing critical thinking skills, but also engaging them more profoundly and deeply with what actually is this whole vaping thing about. And the story is that essentially when you play it, you're this investigative journalist and you're being asked to investigate and uncover a story around how vape companies are actively working on shaping a cultural model where vaping is part of a young person's life fundamentally and their and their lifestyle. So how will people access this game? Will a lot of school children actually get to play it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get lots of uh, schools that are obviously engaging with our resources. And um, this game, just like a lot of the other games as well, they're actually freely available on our website. So if you go to blurredminds.com.au, there's a tab called Games. Lots of games that you can bring actually for free into your classroom experience as a health education teacher. And uh, yeah, have a bit of fun in the classroom. Okay, so it happens in the classroom. The teacher walks in and says, hey, we're playing a really fun game today. And people are like, oh, cool. I'm glad we're not, you know, trolling through Shakespeare or something like that. And <laughs> the game is the vape detective. Shakespeare. That could be it, yeah. So, so there's there's definitely teacher, teachers that would sort of complement the existing, let's say, alcohol and drug education they're already doing. And they're like super keen to bring a bit different, you know, a different approach into it. And they might stumble on our games and they say, okay, I'm going to bring this in here and, and then have a look at how that goes and just have a deeper reflection within the in the classroom. What would you say if you could sum it up is is the deeper message you hope people get from the vape detective? A lot of the games because we have lots of games and uh, when people always ask me, you know, what does the single game do? I mean, the game often can be perhaps a hook to also engage in some um, ways we would hope that the games also, you know, change uh, beliefs. And really that only works if we empower the teachers. So so rather than, you know, having experts always come in and, and do talks, it's it's more about empowering the teachers so they can, on an ongoing basis, deliver really relevant and cutting edge, innovative alcohol and drug education. That was Timo Dietrich, co-founder of Blurred Minds. We're going to run that idea past a public health expert now to see if she thinks it will work. Associate Professor Coral Gardner is an international expert in tobacco control policy. She's the director of the Center of Research Excellence on Achieving the Tobacco Endgame. Coral, thank you for joining us. Do you think a video game in the classroom setting encouraging critical thinking about vaping could have a positive impact? Yeah, look, in um, the past, there have been some very successful youth anti-smoking campaigns, particularly in the US. And those campaigns have actually focused on the wrongdoing of the tobacco industry. And they've enlisted youth as allies against these corporate bad actors. So rather than just telling young people, oh, you shouldn't smoke or you shouldn't vape, they've actually joined with young people as allies and gotten them to uh, look at the issue from a different perspective and looking at it from issues of things like addiction. Addressing issues such as addiction can be very important and ask how addiction erodes your freedom of choice and the benefits of not using addictive substances. These are important messages to convey to young people and actually enlisting them as allies in addressing these issues is likely to be more effective than simply you know, preaching to young people. I guess at the heart of this is, is a tricky problem where something has become, you know, we've been talking about this throughout this episode, something's become cool with teenagers that's also dangerous and so by focusing on the danger of it, for some kids that makes it sound cooler. 
Yeah, look, I think that this can be a risk. Young people like to experiment with things, um, like to take some risks and so on. So you need to address the problem, not just by telling them, you know, oh, this stuff's harmful, but also helping them to look at the problem from multiple perspectives, things like why a company would be selling a product like this to them and the issues of if you become addicted to that product, how that may have other consequences for your life. Yeah, that's really interesting that, that you focused in on that. That's actually what this game, uh, Inspector Vape, tries to do. You, you play this um, investigative journalist and it's all about looking at the companies and, and their motivations, which is what you're talking about. So you're almost leaning into teenage cynicism about corporations and, and manipulation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, youth activism is a uh, is, has been a very important part of driving down smoking rates in young people. So we have the lowest smoking rates amongst young people that we've ever had. So it's been very successful. And I think that's the sort of approach that we can also use in this issue as well with vaping. Can we have some hope that we're going to get on top of this one as well? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm not too pessimistic about this. I think, you know, we've done it with smoking and I think we can protect young people from taking up vaping and getting addicted to that. So a lot of the policies that work in terms of restricting supply, I think they need to be enforced more and also, you know, just better regulation of the products themselves too. So that was Coral Gartner. Katrina, I thought it was really good that she brought up the supply issue. You know, if they're illegal, I'm just surprised there's not more we can do to stop them getting into the hands of teenagers. Yeah, and, you know, kids are often selling to other kids. They're getting <laughs> they're getting it from older brothers and sisters. So, yeah, they're, they're always going to find a way to get their hands on it. What I loved most about Coral's strategy and her clear-headed thinking on this is it removes that kind of knee-jerk reaction you get when you are consumed by fear. And I think, you know, for a lot of teachers and parents, this is all so new. Like, we didn't grow up with this, and so we're freaking out a bit. And we're trying to attack it with the wrong kind of approach, like telling kids, you know, this is this is going to be bad for your health when it could take 10, 20 years to manifest. It's not going to work. But enlisting them as allies and talking to them like adults, I can see how that would be effective. Listener.